But first of all, we can just go to Ephesians 4 and look at verse 16. And uh, so these Wednesday nights, we're doing a series on First and Second Corinthians. And we're just talking about the body of Christ, body life. And then last week was our introduction to, the, to that topic. And really the goal of these Wednesday nights is that uh, we would take people that we're discipling, people that are, are in our life, that we bring them here to a place where they can get the word, get discipled. And, uh, but I was thinking, you know, when we were thinking about, when I was thinking about, when we were thinking about moving to Texas, um, we were in a place, we were in Philadelphia, and we were in a place where we just felt God was moving us on. We had done like a church replant there, and, and we had come down here in spring to visit. And I just remember being here, and I sat down with somebody who, um, who had, us come over, had us come over to their house, and uh, uh, she said something. She actually wrote a note to my wife and I, and she said, uh, it was really beautiful. She said that, and I, c- I could read it to you sometime, because I, I have a picture of it, and it's kind of like one of these things that you just kind of pull out sometimes, you just kind of think about it. Do you have those kind of things, like a picture or a Bible verse or something that you've taken a picture of and it's in your phone, and you look at it, and it just stirs you up. It just kind of reminds you of the call you know, um, and I took out this piece of paper the other day and it was just written and it was just written about like, you know, a prayer by someone that there would be a body, a a body of Christ here in Texas, uh, deeply known, deeply loved, and that would go beyond something social. And that would be really something that is missional. And when I read that, it just really spoke to my heart. And I began to think like, you can, you can hear the voice of Christ through the word saying go and and so like when we look at these kind of things God speaks to us by revelation and what I mean by that is in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 it says that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and that word in the Greek is rhema and it's logos speaks of the written word rhema is the word of God that is mixed with the Holy Spirit with a personal specific illumination to you and I as a believer what that word means in our life for that day and that hour personal application the word rhema actually <coughs> is referring to also something spoken like there's something someone said something and I think the spoken word is so powerful when we think about the spoken word in the, in the, in the book of Genesis uh, God didn't use machines God didn't use um, energy God didn't do God didn't have any tools or resources to to build what he did, the creation, he spoke. And the most powerful thing in the universe is not an atom bomb, and it's not our technology or our smartness, but it's really what God is saying. And when God speaks to us, he's speaking to us through his word in Matthew 4, verse 4, and that's rhema. And he said that in Matthew 4, verse 4, that without rhema, we're really just basically going to be starving. And so we need, as Christians, we need to hear from the Lord. We need a, we need a personal word from God. You know, and I remember as a 17 year old, just being in a place in my life, God spoke to me. I remember when I was 11 and God gave me a Bible verse out of it, Isaiah, that really spoke to me. I remember being nine years old and making a decision for Christ because someone shared the gospel with me. Um, I remember just different times in my life where I, I can't say that God has said a lot of things to me like, okay, that was, but it's just always been something very simple and very biblical. And I remember when the Lord uh, called us to Ukraine. 
and I remember where I was and what I was doing and just the, the situation I was in. And, and so I think that when we think about revelation, that's one of the privileges that a Christian has. A Christian has this privilege in their life that we can be living our mundane life, driving down 1488, doing our thing, and then suddenly we could get a, like a Bible verse or a word from the Lord or a song or we hear a preacher say something and then we remember it months later at one sentence. Oh yeah, he said that, you know? And that's what we call a rhema. And rhema is never in contradiction to what the written word of God is. Like, rhema is not like God told me to divorce my wife and marry my secretary. Or rhema is not that God told me to go rob that bank. Rhema, you know, rhema never contradicts the word of God. But rhema is always just a specific revelation of what does the written word mean for me today? And I think that this is really what we hunger for. This is what we really love. This is what Peter said when he said, where will we go for only you have the words of eternal life? This is what Mary said when she said to the angel. Uh, in the Greek, it's really beautiful. But it's, when she says, let it be according to me, you know, let it be according to thy handmaid. As you, In the Greek, it says, um, basically, there's nothing impossible for God, for God to do according to what he said, rhema. So if God gives us a rhema like he gave to Mary, that, he's gonna be, that she's going to be the mother of Christ, the mother that brings Jesus into the, into the world, that is a rhema from God. And rhemas are really what get us out of our bed. It gets us out of our depression. It gets us out of our house and into the body. It gets us out the door uh, to, to walk by faith in our life. And so rhema is something that we live by. Without rhema, we just have no understanding. We're... Christianity without rhema is no different than Islam or any other religion. It's just another code of ethics. It's another idealistic way of thinking. It's another religious philosophy. Rhema makes Christianity something that we can hear from the Lord. David said this. He said, he said I heard it once, and then I heard it said again. David said that. And it's like when we hear the word of God, when it's being preached, like we said last week, when we hear a voice in the house, when we hear God speaking, when we see the man beside us, as we see in the book of Ezekiel that we looked at last week, and we know that there's a personal understanding, a personal sense that God is with me. I talked to a Muslim lady one time um, in my house. She was helping my wife with something, and uh, she was she's a, she's a daughter of a diplomat um, in Poland. She's Libyan. Amazing story, and she's in her house. And, and I asked her, I said, you know, is there time in your religion where when you pray, you can sense the presence of God or you are able to have supplication or pour out your heart to God? Is there, or is it just five times a prayer, doing your thing, and then you feel better, you pray? She goes, well, there is this prayer called the night prayer. Have I told you guys about this before? I don't know, maybe I have. But there's this thing that she called the night prayer. And it's a prayer that you can pray after sundown and before sunrise. It's after you've, and I think I'm getting this right, but it's after you've washed, you've finished eating, there's nothing else to do. And then it's during the night where you can get up and you can pray in your own words to Allah what you want to say. And, and then you can, it can be as long as you want in your own words, and then it's over. And Because I asked her, I said, what do you do when you're depressed or when you're tempted or when you feel like you're, you're just discouraged, you know, is there a time when you guys, you know, you can 
pray or something? And she goes, yeah, we just, that's our night, that's our night prayer. And I think that in Christianity, what we have is, is that God, God can speak to us, you know, that we can be just, you know, really a wreck, isolated, and then God can speak to us. And this is the thing that I think that really people are not getting in the church generally, because a church that doesn't have rhema could, could have good stimulating messages, could have good stimulating programs, even like a good program of discipleship, a lot of activity. But if there's no rhema, I mean, there's a part of us that just is hungry, right? Like there's no rhema. And, and we walk away like, you know what, there's nothing, we can't put our finger on it, but there's, there's something that's not there. And we leave hungry, we leave discontent, we leave agitated. And, and, and I think it's rhema. And for us to live in rhema or to communicate rhema is we have to understand what the body of Christ is. And so the body of Christ is the place where, and Pastor Schaller said it on the video Tuesday morning, we get together here at 9.30 and we just watch a video from our home church. And, uh, and he just talked about, he was just talking about how God in Psalm 133 uh, takes pleasure and dwells in the place of the body of Christ. And this is where he dwells. This is where he takes his pleasure. He's, this is where he's commanded a blessing. And it's very interesting because God hasn't commanded a blessing in activity for God. God has not commanded a blessing for us when we are praising or doing something or worshiping God. God has not commanded a blessing for all these other things. God has commanded a blessing when the body of Christ gathers together. And that's where I've commanded a blessing. And so, um, and that's why the body of Christ, the, requi- the body of Christ for us to understand what the body of Christ is and somebody might think this is so elemental, but it's not. This is like, I think it's very possible. And I think Watchman Nee gets into this in his book, that we could be a Christian for a long time, but never have a revelation or rhema or an illumination of how important the body of Christ is. Um, I mean, I remember as a teenager not really having much other than the body of Christ. And I just remember just, you know, like, you know, if my family didn't have a car or ride, I'd figure out how am I going to get to church, you know. And I lived in Dover, New Hampshire, and our church was in South Berwick, Maine. And that was, I think, a five-mile distance. And so sometimes I walked it, you know, just to be there to be a teen class. But I remember, like, this hunger in my heart for, for body life. For, and I didn't even know what it was. You know, I just was like, I've got to be there. And I remember finishing, you know, being done with church and having, having heard from God. And I think that, that this is something that if we don't understand what the body of Christ is, then we don't understand the mission of the church and then we can even take the notice that we don't even understand who the, who the church is. And so I think in church planting or in mission work or whatever we want to call it in evangelism, we, it's very important for us to understand what is the church, what is the body of Christ, and having a revelation of that. Because if we don't have that, then what are we inviting people to? Another religious club that is not transformational, and doesn't nobody's lives are changed. And so with that just introduction, there's three things I want to say tonight. Um, number one, the body life is the greatest test of our spirituality. Okay, the greatest test of our spirituality is our life in the body of Christ. Um, number two, having a revelation of the body of Christ. And I want to dig down into that a little bit more in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the first nine verses. And then lastly, um, how are we fitted into the body of Christ? How are we fitted into the body of Christ? And so let's look at this together. Ephesians 4, verse 16. Body life is the greatest test of our spirituality. 
I think it's really easy to be a Christian and um, not understand what the body of Christ is and, and not understand how God has pro- provided the body of Christ to us so that we could grow, so that there is growth. And Ephesians 4, verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, according to the working by measure of every single part, the growth of the body makes for the building up of itself in love. So we see here that the whole body is joined together and held together by every ligament, supporting ligament. And according to the working and the measure of, because every single part has a, has a job, has a function. And by the way, you know what's interesting? Is, and I just recently read this, going through, reading a book about Genesis and how, to, how we interpret Genesis and how, how the writers of Genesis, how they were writing things and what, what their perspective was. And when, when you see the book of Genesis and you read this account of, of a creation, in the Hebrew mind, something was not important or critical if it didn't have a function. And so when God said he saw that these were this way and it was good, because it was good because they were functioning in their position. Mm-hmm. So anything, anything that did not have a function was not valuable. I think in our Western mindset, anything that has value is valuable. But... In the, in the Hebrew mindset, if, there was, if, if something did not function in its function properly, then it was worthless, no matter what it looked like. And so the body of Christ here, um, every measure working in every part, making itself, building up itself in love. The purpose of the body of Christ is really to build people up, to really build us up in our calling. And I think that what happens is, is that the first thing the devil wants to do in a person's life is to really isolate them from the body of Christ and just get them by themselves so that he can pound on them with projections and just isolation. And you know how that is when we're by ourselves a long period of time. And without fellowship, we can just literally lose our mind. And so the purpose of the body of Christ is to build itself up in love. Um, and I think that when we look at the body of Christ, when we understand what it is, that the greatest test of of how we know God is really and how well we can, is not how well we can speak or what we can do for God or how much we read the Bible. Really, body life is the greatest test of our spirituality. And our spirituality in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 23 through 27, is really defined in how I can, how I know and understand the body of Christ. So, can you imagine being a pastor or being in the church or being in the ministry? And having no revelation of the body of Christ. And you look at people as just flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. And I can see that that can happen very easily with a pastor. Pastors, this happens to pastors all the time. Is they just look at people as flesh and blood. And they just see problems, dysfunctions. And, and then when they see somebody, when a pastor or if someone looks at another body member in the flesh. Then all of their, all of their insight and all of their all of their suggestions and everything they say is really going to be just natural viewpoint. It's not going to be spiritual. And so, that, and so it's so important that we have a revelation of the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, I can't say that I'm a very spiritual person because I do all the stuff for God. I'm doing 100 hours volunteering as a, soul, as a Sunday school teacher or whatever. And if I don't love my brother, if I don't understand who the body of Christ is, if I don't understand Romans 12 verse 10, if I don't understand the value of the body of Christ... It's all worth nothing. It really is all worth nothing. And so 
Watchman Nee really brings this out in his book that God is using personalities in our life to rub us the wrong way. And who said it? Pastor Schaller said it. Uh, the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the cross of Jesus Christ <coughs> is not some hardship or some difficult thing in my life. The, hard, the cross of Jesus Christ is something totally different. And I think a lot of times people say, well, I have a very heavy cross to bear in my life because I have a bad marriage or I have financial problems or I have health issues. That is not the cross. Uh, the cross is something that, that intervenes into our life. And I'm going to talk about it in a second that can set us free and fit us for the body of Christ. But in relationships in the church and relationships on staff and, and our personalities are rubbing each other the wrong way, then we have the opportunity to go to Christ, to go to the cross, and to be fitly framed. And, and that is how our spirituality, if we want to say like, okay, Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 really says this, you that are spiritual, right? You guys that think you're spiritual, go and bear the burdens of, one, of, of another. And I think that spirituality... A truly spiritual person, someone that understands how to bear one of those burdens and how to look beyond flesh and blood and really just see the need inside of a person's soul. And number two, so the revelation of the body. And let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is our text really for, for, the, um, for this series, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it says this. Um, And, you know, by the way, our wife, our husband, um, our body members, our kids, if they're saved, if they're born again, they're body members too. My wife is a body member before she's my wife. Does that make sense? She has a relationship with God. And her relationship with God is, if that's not correct, and if my relationship with God as a husband is not correct, then as body members, we're not going to have fellowship. Marriage can be great without God. I mean, it's possible. It can be moral. There's a lot of benefits. There's a lot of phileo in that. It's a Greek word for love on a, on a human way. But there's a lot of possibilities that marriage doesn't work out with God. But marriage with God, when two people are walking with God and have a strong vertical, then their, their, vertical, yeah, their horizontal between them are going, is going to be healthy. And so our wife, our spouse, is a body member. And so having a revelation of what our spouse's portion in the body of Christ is, is, is so key. It's so important. But let's, let's not get sidetracked here. First Corinthians chapter one, verse one through nine. Um, could someone read the first five, first nine verses? Anyone? Just read it out. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God in Sosthenes, our brother, the church of God, which is at So we know that Paul here is beginning to approach all of the issues in a very dysfunctional church. 
in Corinth. And this is how he starts. He starts from, from divine perspective. Uh, he understands, first of all, who he is in Christ. And he understands who the pastor Sosthenes is. And to the church, he understands who the church is. They're sanctified. They're called saints together, calling on the name of Jesus Christ in every place. And then he says, grace to you and peace. It's just interesting to me, like, Paul as a pastor, as an apostle, begins, his, begins the treatment of all the issues in a very dysfunctional group of individuals from divine perspective. And he always just starts with who they are in Christ. And I think this is really the answer to any, this is really the answer to any church problem, is that when we start to look at people, okay, who are they after Christ? And if I don't know, if I haven't gotten a revelation from God about who they are in Christ, then I'm going to be just giving them my flesh and blood. And that's not going to help. And it can actually cause more problems. And so Paul here is talking about, from divine perspective, who they are. And then he says in verse 3, in reference to you, my relationship with you guys, grace and peace. Unmerited favor. I love you guys. I want to bless you guys. I want, to me- I, I want you guys to be blessed despite yourselves. And peace. We're good. Peace with God. And he says, and he says in verse 4, I give thanks to God. And thanksgiving is, in the Greek, is a word made up of a few parts. Basically what it means is, is that when you've received grace and reciprocated it and it's, and it's healed you and it's fixed you and it's impacted you, and how does the grace come out of a person? It comes out as thankfulness. And I think that thanksgiving or thankfulness is always a, is a sign of a true reciprocation of grace in a person's life. And so Paul's saying, I'm thanking God for you. Paul's looking at the church. He's not, he's not judging them. He's not... He has actually, in his heart, he's okay. He's good with the church. Because I think that pastors can look at their church or people that, are, people that we're discipling or people that we are pouring into, people that we're leading. We can look at people sometimes and not be thankful, not be thankful for them because we're seeing it from natural perspective. And then he's talking here that he's just saying that my prayer is that you know, that you don't lack any spiritual gift as you're eagerly awaiting a revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so verse 7 here introduces this word revelation. I think some people have may have a problem with that word theologically because revelation and illumination, like revelation is for, is what God gave the apostles for scripture. You know, the Pope today, the Catholic Pope claims that he has revelation, so he's writing scripture. I mean, if we really want to nail it, if we want to really be specific with words, I would say it's illumination. It's, it's, an, it's a dawning, it's an understanding of what's already been said, and it's not anything new. But here Paul's talking about in verse 7, a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the re- revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not me in my room having this epiphany of God. It's me being in the body of Christ, having a revelation of God. It's when somebody in the body of Christ ministers to us, and we get a revelation of an aspect of Jesus Christ that we had never seen before. You know what I'm saying? And that's the fullness of the body of Christ. This is what Paul is talking about, a revelation. You know that in Ephesians chapter 6, the whole book of Ephesians is talking about what? The body of Christ, right? It's just talking about our position in the body of Christ, who we are in Christ. It's just in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And then when we get to chapter 6, right? That's that famous chapter about... about Armor, right? And how many times, I remember this going, growing up in school, in Sunday school, hearing messages on Ephesians 6 about the armor, right? Put on the whole armor, right? Okay, so, and, and so we're thinking, I got to put on the helmet of salvation, and that's all correct. 
But if we don't read Ephesians chapter 6 in the context of the book of Ephesians, then we don't understand spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, armor, spiritual warfare, protection in a Christian's life, is something that can only be understood in the context of being in the body of Christ. If I'm not in the body, if I'm independent, if I'm living in selfism, if I'm living, fighting for my rights all the time and how I have been wronged and, you know, and not laying down my life, then I never discover, I never understand spiritual rhema or spiritual revelation in warfare. And so that's why, that's why I mean, I just heard today, uh, I mean, I can't get into it, but, you know, you just hear these things that are happening in different places in the world and people's lives, and you're just like, where is their covering? Like, okay, are they, who is their, uh, do they have a covering in their life? That's the first question that we want to ask. Like, who, is there a covering in their life that they can go to and pray with and communicate? Because when there's a lack of communication, that's where the devil just wants to camp, all right? When there's a lack of inter- in communication and definition, that's where the devil wants to camp out. And that's why when God is a God of communication, and in the body of Christ is where we understand warfare and where we experience all of our armor in the body of Christ. And uh, in verse 8, then we see in verses 8 and 9 some beautiful verses about, about the awesome work of God. Who will, And this interlinear that I have, it says, who will also confirm you until the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful. I love that. By whom you are called to fellowship with the with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. And so he's, he's ending these first nine verses, introductory thoughts about before he starts hitting unity. He's just saying, God's faithful. You know, if there's, if there's a wreck somewhere, a spiritual wreck, God's faithful. I think sometimes we look at people's lives and we say, well, that, they're done. <laughs> just write them off. You know, they, they blew it. They failed or, you know, or they, but you know, God is faithful. And, I want, to, I want to just finish with this. I want to just give a, I just want to give an illustration, Hebrews chapter 11, of what a revelation of the body of Christ looks like. But I just want to say, God's faithful in our life. God is faithful. It may take 40 years, it may take 80 years. God's, God is faithful in our life. There's something that God is doing in our life. And what is God, remember Pastor Stevens would say this all the time, Romans chapter 8. What is the end goal for the Christian? What is the purpose of God as if we're a Christian? What is our purpose as a Christian? And that is that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. And that we would be, that we'd be made like him. And that when we speak, when we act, when we walk, it's Christ in us. And Hebrews chapter 11, I want to look at verse 24. And I just want to talk about him. I just want to close with this. And then we can just have a, a, a discussion about it. Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I mean, if you ever have seen the culture, the Egyptian culture, the levels of, of you know, of advanced knowledge and in every way, how much they knew, the Alexandria library, the library in Alexandria before it was destroyed, um, Moses had access to every anything he would, he had basically access to an internet type of I mean he had so much access to so much information and he was a he was a Hebrew he grew up in the house of the Pharaoh's daughter he had access to everything and there was a point where he just refused I said I'm no longer the Pharaoh I'm not no longer the son of the Pharaoh's daughter and that's kind of crazy because when you think about that why how did that happen 
Verse 25, choosing instead. And I like how the, he, the King James brings it. I want to read it in the King James. This is, this is really nice how it comes out in the, Hebrew, in the King James. Hebrews chapter 11. Um, verse 25. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called. Okay, this is the New King James. Choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I think in King James, oh, here it is. Okay, in verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Now, what is Moses looking at? He's looking at God's people. He said, God's people, this ragtag group of slaves that are called the Hebrews, that are just miserable, they're just like pessimistic, just yet there is something about them that he said that is more valuable than the riches of Egypt. And I think that's the same thing as a Christian, is that when we look at the body of Christ, when we can look at the body of Christ and we can say, God, show me how beautiful these people are. Lord, show me the privilege it is. Show me the, the high and holy road of fellowship that we have in a church. And I think that if that is not happening in a church, if the pastor or if the people in the church are not meeting at the cross, and I don't have time to talk about being fitted. I'll do that next week. But our job really as body members is that we would just, number one, have a revelation of who Christ is. And then number two, who is the body of Christ? And who are these people? And just get a revelation from God, like Jesus poured out his blood for these people. Like these are just not some ragtop group of people. These are very important people. And I think that any time that we see that the, like the Amalekites or anybody mistreated the Jews or mistreated God's people, there was always um, hell to pay, if I could just say that in a sacred way. There was always, there was always just the wrath of God poured out. I think that if we ever want to experience the total wrath of God in our life at the maximum form, and that is just to talk about his people negatively or just, you know, to just mistreat his people. You know what I'm saying? Like, like to, to do despite to the bride of Christ, you know, that's, you know, that's like if we want to experience just the, the, the deep anger of God, like just to, just to like treat people like just flesh and blood. And I, and I think that as we just finish this, um, having a revelation of the body of Christ means that, that the reproach, the persecution, the, the words in the back room, the, the, the sneers, the, the, the snarky words that people say or, you know, you associate with those people, you know, like, like that is more valuable than... than than just having the great riches of this world. And, you know, and, and uh, I think about Franz's story a little bit when I, when I say that. Like, you know, we could come out of some really great, amazing, by sight, family situations and come into, like, this very simple faith. But this is so much more valuable. And Moses' whole story was that he just walked with these people through the desert. He walked through their unbelief. He walked through their fear, their, their anger, their accusations. And yet... He never, he never threw in the towel because he understood. He said, this is, these are God's people. And when God said to Moses, remember? God said to Moses, hey, Moses, step back. I'm just going to destroy these people. I'm going to make a whole nation out of your, out of your, down, out of your seed. And he goes, he goes, look, if you kill them, kill me too because 
I'm no better. And so that's a beautiful picture. This is something I'm talking about that I can't say with words, but God has to really show us like how beautiful the body of Christ is. Amen. So any questions or comments? Maybe we could just take a couple minutes and just chat through this a little bit. Any thoughts?